0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. You guys good with one story? Sure. Yeah. So a little bit, of, little bit of background. Community Church in Fond du Lac has been going to this village in West Africa in Senegal for the last 13 years. They adopted the village 13 years ago, and about every year they've sent a team. And the soul or the primary purpose is to form a relationship that they would know that we love them, that we could learn from them, that they could learn from us, and we'd enter into relationship. We don't want to be kind of the great saviors going around the world and fixing everything and letting them know how they should do it. We want, we want to go and be humble and to learn and to see what God is doing um, to serve them, uh, to hear from them, and then to be able to enter into what God is doing. So over the, over the course of the years, as the relationship um, between the church and this village has grown, the church in the village, there's a small church there that has been growing. There have been a number of baptisms over the years, um, and projects have uh, sprung up. Lots of uh, projects with clean water. There's now running clean running water in the village. Uh, the school has expanded. There's actually a, a physical church building block building instead of uh, the millet stock kind of hut uh, that they were meeting in. And uh, in a largely Muslim village, the chief of the village, who is a Muslim, says, uh, says to the church who has been coming for 13 years, I like what is happening. I see what is happening and how the village was and how the village is over this course of time. And I like what is happening. Thank you for coming. Thank you for loving us. Um, and I'm looking forward to what is next. So great favor that we have uh, to be able to walk into a largely Muslim community and be free in sharing the gospel. It's really, really, really incredible. Um, so over the, over the course of the week, lots, lots of times we will go over there and feel like we need to be doing something. And I'm sitting in a circle having tea um, and that's kind of, that becomes sort of an emphasis through the week. Let's build a relationship. Let's talk. Let's talk about family. Let's talk about what's going on. Is, are people sick or what's what's going on? And drink this super caffeinated, super sugared tea called Ataya, which is an art form um, and is, in, is incredible. Um, and... Uh, then through the week, we spent a lot of time kind of walking to different compounds. A compound is extended family. So uh, patriarch and matriarch, um, and then their sons with their wives, and everybody kind of forms this one big compound, and everybody has their own huts in it. But it's an extended family living area, and we'll go from compound to compound and sit and spend time uh, and just be present with them. Over the course of the last decade, the team in Fond du Lac has built um, a, a really precious, tender relationship with a lady there named Dubba. Uh, Dubba's husband is a witch doctor. And for years, he forbade her from uh, taking part in the church, from going to worship and doing anything to having any fellowship. And he has softened over the years um, as the team has um, just really tangibly loved their family. And he's kind of cracked open a little bit. She's now... Um, fully worshiping with the church, and their 11-year-old son was baptized the Sunday that we were there. And he, and the witch doctor, though he wasn't present, said he was very happy about it, which is just kind of crazy. Um, toward the end of the week, Monica from, uh, she's now living in Texas, but with the community church team, and our Julie were walking around and visiting Dubba in her compound. And after visiting for a while, Dubba took them into a kind of a back hut in the compound uh, to, to show them her father-in-law, who was lying on the floor, listless, without any energy, his eyes vacant, uh, could not even stand up, and uh, they notice something smells, and they notice it's his foot, and the man has an open wound on his foot, probably about this big, four inches wide, where you can see the tendons, um, and infected, and uh, I'll save some of the detail, I guess, Um, and he's likely in septic shock right now. Community church, it just so happened coincidentally, on their team, on our team for the week, had a podiatrist along. Yeah, there's no coincidence, right? So Monica and Julie come out and say, guys, we've got a guy with a foot problem. Anybody know anything about that? (laughs) Um, and so our foot doctor walks in and is able to assess the situation, um, and very um, a real bad situation, saying, as it is, uh, this man is heading toward his grave within two weeks. Um, I think if we, could, if we can treat him here, he's got a better chance. They can clean it every day. I can give them some pain reliever some general antibiotic, I think, he can, I think he's got a good shot. If we got him to a hospital, within two days, he will likely start feeling healthy again and be back on the road. And so we asked, uh, we asked if we could pray over him. They said, so we don't want to be pushy. Uh, we know you're a Muslim. We know your son is a witch doctor. You haven't found healing yet in any of the ways you know. Um, our God is the healing God. Can we pray for you? And uh, he said yes. And his wife, who was there, said, look, if God heals him, he'll be a believer. And so we prayed fervently over him. um, And then then started to make arrangements to say, let's go to the hospital that's connected to the ministry that we are partnering with. Let's get him there. And we had to lay seats down because he couldn't, he couldn't sit up. And we, we got him back to the hospital, and then we left Africa. And so we're waiting to hear word. The last we heard was he was hooked up overnight to an IV, likely dehydrated. He's got to get fluids, and the healing process has begun. And so we're eager to hear what God is doing in his life. Um, I, I think, I mean, that's just one of the many things that happen through the course of the week to say God is super active. God is doing things that are beyond what we can think, beyond what we can imagine. And he's healing people. Miracles are happening. And the gospel is spreading. So this little church that um, Community Church partnered with, partnered with 13 years ago, is now stable and is now sending sending pastors and Christians out to neighboring villages and their church planting. So the African church is spreading the gospel And it's amazing to be a part of it and to go with them and say, wow, wow. We started a series in Colossians a couple weeks ago, and Paul starts by saying the gospel that you received is spreading over the entire world. And we get to see a picture of that here and now today in our life, in our world. The gospel is still spreading. Um, So thank you. Uh, thank you for praying for us as we went. There's still a lot of unpacking to do, um, tons and tons and tons of stories uh, that we could tell, um, but it was, it was very exciting. This is my third trip um, now, and I, um, it's, it's staggering what God is doing and the, the window to the gospel that is open right now. Uh, let's pray together, and we'll jump into Colossians. Colossians. Father you are life in you we find our life in you we find our healing and in you with your spirit in your spirit by your spirit we can be a part of the healing and the life that you bring to people would you make us aware of who you are and would you make us aware of who we are and would you help us to be ever growing in that and ever faithful in that that we would sense you and follow you, that we would live in your power and in your authority. Thank you for the way the gospel is spreading. Thank you for the way that you are still, still today active in our community and around the world. We thank you for the church in Goodell, worshiping with us today, calling out your name, opening up your word, and clinging to you. We thank you for that time. We thank you for this time. Help us to see you this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My freshman year of college, somebody recommended uh, that I read and study through the book of Ephesians. And I was so biblically literate at the time that I opened up to Ecclesiastes and read through it. And they asked me what I thought, and I was like, that's a super depressing book. I don't know why we're studying it. She's like, I don't know what you just read. Um, like, oh, Ephesians. Yeah, got it. And I went back and I started reading Ephesians. And Ephesians, um, I will be honest with you and uh, a little bit vulnerable and a little bit embarrassed to say that when I opened up Ephesians, I was super bored. I read through it. And I wanted to be like, God, tell me what to do. Tell me how to live. This is supposed to be directions for life, a guidebook for life. You know, how am I supposed to follow you and uh, how can I be faithful? And all all we're doing is talking about you right now. (laughs) Often I think we get stuck reading the Bible and we're at the center of it reading the Bible and said, what does it tell me to do? What's an encouragement for me? How can this strengthen me? How can I live this way or out of this? And God, I want you to meet me. And though we're following Jesus, we're still sort of at the center of things. Sometimes, sometimes, this was the lesson I'm still learning. It's not really about me. It's not really about you. Sometimes the Bible only wants to talk about God. And that, when we're ready for that, when we're ready to get off of ourselves, we get opened up in a way when we see a deeper picture of God, a clearer picture of God, a more exalted and elevated picture of God. Um, maybe God wants us to do nothing but sit in awe, to be awed by him, and transformed by that, but it's not really about us. Colossians starts that way. Colossians doesn't dive deep right away into, let me tell you how to follow Jesus. Let me tell you how to walk this out. Colossians starts in praise. Colossians starts in awe. And the verses that we're going to read this morning, the the verses that we're going to read this morning have very little applicate like direct application to us to say do this and yet it's so incredibly valuable i don't need to look for directions all the time i need to look and see the god who is greater than i and in seeing i get changed so would you stand with me we're going to read colossians 15 through or colossians 115 through 23 and then we're over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to unpack 15 to 23 a little section at a time, reading that same section every week. Today, we're just going to do 15 through 17 and break it up, but we're going to read the whole thing. Are we ready? Colossians 1, 15 through 23 says, He is the image of the invisible God If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You can have a seat. I want to go back and just read verses 15 through 17, and then start to uh, go word by word, phrase by phrase to unpack that. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says, Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Paul, uh, Paul is exalting Jesus. Paul is calling on the Jesus who is greater than. We talked about how we often have a Jesus and kind of mindset. That I like Jesus and this other stuff, like going to a buffet. I really like that, but I want a little of this, and I want a little of that, and I want a little of that. And Paul is confronting that kind of mindset, the buffet mindset of Jesus and mindset. He's saying it's Jesus, period. Jesus is greater than anything, anything that you could follow, anything that you could worship, any philosophy or mentality or anything that you could uh, find yourself in. Jesus is greater than, and it's not supposed to be this stuffy, don't you dare do that, but would you open your eyes? Would you see what Jesus is, who Jesus is, and let him be magnified in that? One commentator writes, every part of the created cosmos visible and invisible, was created in, by, and for him. Every part will be touched by Christ's reconciling work on the cross. Christ's cosmos-encompassing supremacy undergirds and gives security to the status and power of those who have been brought into his kingdom. He has this phrase, and it just jumped, it leapt out to me as I was reading, Christ's cosmos-encompassing supremacy. Isn't that magnificent? A cosmos-encompassing supremacy, that Jesus is king over everything. He is ruler over everything. Everything. Jesus is greater than. And this, these verses begin in 15 with this phrase, Jesus is, he is the image of the invisible God. But how can an invisible God have an image? We, that's like an English kind of. Well, I don't. I don't get what you're doing here. In the language of the day, uh, something that bore an image of something else wasn't just like the mirror image, but it was like they are a representation. They are a representation of this thing. So Paul says he is the image. Jesus is the representation of God. He is the exact representation. To simply put, to see Jesus is to see God. To see Jesus is to see the Father. To know Jesus is to know what God is like. To watch Jesus is to see how God operates. In Christ, we see who God is, creator and redeemer. What God is like, that he's full of mercy and love. And what God does God is the one who sends his son to rescue people from the dominion of darkness. And he brings the uh, reconciliation of all things, of us and of creation through his death on the cross. That's what God is like. And in Jesus, we see that. Paul will have nothing to do with Jesus and. Clearly in this passage, he's shouting out, Jesus is greater If you want to know what God is like, you dig into the Bible, and you you look at Jesus, and you soak in Jesus, and you watch Jesus, and you listen to him, and you will see that he bears the image of the Father. There's another interesting piece to that, because human beings were created in the image of God, right? Right? We were created in the image of God. And so we are a representation of God. Are we a perfect image of God? <laughs> no, we are broken. And it, sometimes it seems like, is there any sliver left? Is there any likeness left? And yet God says, I made you in my image. We have the divine in us that God planted himself in us, and we bear his image, and yet Jesus, Jesus is what God intended for humanity. A perfect representation of who he is. All of who he is is seen in that. So while broken, bearing God's image, we would say the closer, the, the closer we get to Jesus, the better we do as image bearers. The farther we get from Jesus, the more broken that picture becomes, the more broken that image uh, gets. It says He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And again, here I think we get thrown off by thinking that this word is simply about adding the two smaller words together: firstborn. So I am the firstborn of my parents out of three boys and Uh, Clearly, that carries with it the other meaning of firstborn, meaning supreme, having great value, right? So there's a sequential order of things, and then there's a status order of things, both of which I encompass, and my brothers clearly identify. (laughs) In the Old Testament, firstborn had the meaning of one who is supreme, one who is supreme, and it offers it also refers to one who has a special place in the Father's love. So, in Exodus four, uh, God calls Israel His firstborn son. That's a metaphor for uh, I, I'm putting a special status on you. I'm putting a special worth and value on you, and I will look at you as supreme over over all other people groups right now, so that you can bless all other people groups. I have a job for you. And listen to the language in Psalm 89, verse 27. It's talking about the offspring of David, who would one day sit on the throne. I will make him the firstborn. I will make him the firstborn. Like I'm going to impart this status upon him. I'm going to make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. But this is not not as much about birth order as it is about supremacy. It can't be about birth order here, because that would make Jesus a created being. And a couple verses later, we're reading everything was created by Jesus. So he's separate from the created order. He's greater than the created order. He's supreme over the created order. He is the firstborn, and he has that status. Because Jesus exists before all things, One can't rightly say, uh, as, I don't know if you're into church history, one of the earliest church heretics in the second century was a guy named Arius, and he said, there was a time when he was not, speaking of Jesus. There was a time when Jesus was not, that he was the first of creation. And that's, if you take that sequentially, you could come out with that conclusion, But that is not consistent with what the Bible says, with what the Bible declares. As the pre-existent one, as the one who has always been, Jesus is Lord of the universe. (laughs) Jesus is the exact image of God and supreme over all creation. And in verse 16, it says, for by him all things were created. So we're knocking out that uh, sequential idea. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, by him and through him, it says. By him and through him, all things were created. So you go back to Genesis 1, and God is speaking and God is creating, and you know who's active in that moment? Jesus. Jesus was there, at creation and he wasn't just a spectator to creation by him and through him all things were created so jesus is called in john the word of god right in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and in genesis 1 it says god opens his mouth and spoke things to into existence that the word brought everything into existence and i think that's jesus on display right there. By him and through him, all things were created. Paul's language uh, mirrors Genesis 1, and it's also really, really, really cool to look at Old Testament uh, wisdom literature, where wisdom is called the craftsman. Wisdom is called the master worker. If you look at Proverbs 8, uh, it talks about wisdom being there when God... Uh, created the beaches and the ocean and created the mountains and doing things. And this makes the statement, that says, I was there, I was the master worker, I was the craftsman. And Paul's modeling that language to point to Jesus. For Paul, that craftsman isn't just a figure of speech. Paul knew Jesus personally. Jesus, for Paul, was the one who knocked him on his back while Paul was traveling down the Damascus Road. Which, if you've ever wondered where in the world we got our weird name from, Damascus Road Church. We're on Park Street. We used to be on Cottage Grove. I don't get it. Where is this other one? That comes directly out of this story in the Bible where a man named Saul, who had uh, grown up in the religious system, was a leader in the religious system, the Jewish religious system, was killing Christians, was there at the death of uh, Stephen approving what was going on, and he was kind of going through life, rising up the religious ladder, and he's walking one day on the Damascus Road, and God, Jesus, knocked him flat on his back and said, why are you doing this? And his life changed. He saw Jesus for who he was, and his life changed. Jesus changes Saul's name to Paul, and the rest of history, Paul becomes the greatest missionary in the Bible, going going from place to place to place on three massive missionary journeys, writing uh, the bulk load of the New Testament in letters to the churches to encourage and to challenge and to lift high the name of Jesus. This Paul, this man who was killing Christians, sees Jesus, and he is changed. And that can be our story. That we would be going through life, doing our own thing, rising and climbing up the ladder, disregarding God, maybe even, maybe even, mocking and ridiculing and mistreating people who would be foolish enough to call themselves Christians. And when we see Jesus, we are changed when we see Jesus, something happens, and our life story changes trajectory, and Jesus fills us, and he gives us a new name, a new identity, that we could be that. that. That is the story and the goal of Damascus Road Church. We want to see Jesus, and we want our identity to shift into him. It needs to be remembered that the one who was crucified as a common criminal, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the very one through whom all of creation found its being. It also says in this passage um, that all things were created for him. For him. That is, it's not about me. It's not about you. That Jesus creates and it, it makes him more famous. That out of the blessing, people would come to know him greater. And his name gets lifted up higher and higher and higher. For a college freshman who wouldn't have said it, but lived like it, that I I only wanted God to tell me how to live. This kind of message can fall on deaf ears that this is about Jesus alone. I'm embarrassed that I was bored. Uh, I, I, I never want to be bored by Jesus again. It's not about me or you. Jesus is the center. Everything was created for his glory. We'd say for our good, and for his glory. That is when we recognize his place in our lives, it's a blessing to us. But it's it's to make him more famous. Verse 17 says, Jesus, Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. So not only is Jesus the creator, like for him and by him and through him, all things were created. But then it also goes on to say, and and in him all things are held together. That Jesus is the creator and he is the sustainer. So deists say God created and then step back. That God created, created the natural world, the natural laws, and then step back and say, well, let's see where this experiment goes. And the Bible says Jesus created and then stayed involved. That he created and now he's holding it all together. That without Jesus actively participating in this world and in your life, we cease. When he takes breath away, life ends. So, everybody, right now, just take a, just take a huge breath, inhale. And recognize that Jesus is giving you breath. And this is everybody. This isn't just people who believe in Him. Every part of creation finds its being in Jesus. He is ever connected. God has a natural law, God creates. And there are laws to this universe that he doesn't really deviate from. But he is active. He is active always. Listen to this quote. It says, Unfortunately, we have become less skillful singers of praise to God and Christ, and may have even forgotten how to speak the language of adoration. Those who have lost an immediate sense of God's presence and glory tend to turn God into an object of study and the subject of theories instead of praise and adoration. That we turn God into something to be studied rather than something to be praised. Rather than something to be adored. And I think study is incredibly important. I want to see God more clearly. I want to understand him deeper and deeper and deeper. But if all it is for me is head knowledge, the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I want to know God and to love God. I want to, I want to know Jesus to love Jesus. I don't want to just know about him, but to fully know him and worship in him. We'll head toward the finish this morning. Listen to this. One writes, when the lavish and generous beauty of the world makes you catch your breath. When the lavish and generous beauty of the world makes you catch your breath, remember that it's like that because of Jesus. But it's also full of ugliness and evil summed up in death itself. That wasn't the original intention. And the living God has now acted to heal the world of wickedness and corruption, which have so radically infected it. He has done done so through the same one whom it was made in the first place. The one who made the world is now healing the world. The one who made you offers healing to you. The Jesus through whom the world was made is the same Jesus through whom the world has now been redeemed. I love that. Now, what do we do with that? How do we apply a passage that isn't about us, isn't telling us what to do? I would say number one, number one, number one, and maybe one through five, and then we'll get to a couple others. Number one is awe. That we would read and get stuck. That we wouldn't read and just kind of skim over to the, the good part where we learn what to do. That we'd read and we'd get stuck on Jesus that we be in awe of him. And awe, I think, leads to fear. Not fear as we tend to know it, like fear of uh, he's going to hurt me or I'm afraid, but a fear like Paul that led to trembling on the road. Who are you? You are too much for me. And a deep, holy, reverent respect for God that I'm in awe of you and I am far below you. That kind of approach to God is what we need and it leads us to trust that God is the one who is worthy of my awe, worthy of my deepest respect and, and he, he offers healing. He offers redemption. He offers life. I can trust him in that awe to fear, to trust and when I am changed by Jesus, I get to be a part of the business of bearing God's image. The closer I get to Jesus, the more, the more I resemble Him. The more I'm able to make Him known. The more I'm able to help people see what He's like. Share what God is like. See it in my life and tell it through what is going on. I want to to be in awe of him, and I want to fear him, and I want to trust him, and then I want to share. I want to show what God is like. And there's a power there. Then instead instead of just trying to do our best for God, Jesus, who sent his spirit, who descends upon us, who abides in us as we follow Christ, says he empowers us for service. He empowers us for ministry. And we have a power and authority that he wants us to recognize, that he wants to be busy employing for his service. Awe, fear, trust, image-bearing, and power, I think we can take from seeing Jesus held high. Last Sunday, I was in the village in Goodell. And it was crazy thinking about you worshiping across the ocean away and how we do that together. We worshiped, we worshiped in the church, and the African, uh, the African worship was just beautiful. And I don't understand it, but I knew what was happening. And 11 people got baptized afterward in a, in a country where 0.2% of the population is evangelical Christian. 11 people got baptized that day. Talking about how Jesus had taken away their demons. When one young married woman actually said that. I, I had demons in me. And Jesus took them away. And I'm, I'm, I'm living for him. 11 people got baptized. It was incredible. Young and old. One lady who could hardly even get, the baptismal was this high. We have it easy here. The baptismal was this high and you had to climb over into it. Old lady had to be helped by four men to come in and, and then get down in it and to see the joy all the way down to 11-year-old kids. It was incredible. You know who it brought glory to? And Jesus was on full display. Jesus was on full display. The gospel is spreading through the world. May we see Jesus as fully God. May we worship him as our creator and trust in him as our sustainer. May we live in Jesus so that we bear his image to a world that desperately needs it. And may we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we read sections like this, May we echo the same sentiment that Paul had in Philippians 3:6. "I want to know Christ." Let's pray.